Welcome to the 71st edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded immediately after numbers 69 and 70 on the Monday before Arsenal's visit to Blackpool. Let's hope they don't play like donkeys at Bloomfield Road, although I've heard the pitch is a bit sandy. Our sponsors are Gunashirts.com, the website for all your unofficial Arsenal t-shirt needs. This is your host, David Udo, and for our third podcast of this evening's State of the Arsenal Nation recording session, still with me are Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust, the Observer's Amy Lawrence, and Philippe Auclair from France Football. Um, for those of you who are tuning in, having just listened to Podcast 70, one of the last things we were talking about was, was Cesc Fabregas's uh, qualities as a captain. And one of the things that bites me with him, uh, as it did at the start of the season, when uh, in his programme notes for the first home game of the season, remarked on how much he enjoyed the, winning the World Cup and seeing all his guys from Spain. However, with regard to everything else that went on that summer, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, and rumours are sort of coming in uh, in the press this morning that uh, he was, and I quote, reluctant to start on Saturday. As um, you know, despite the fact we've got eight games to go this season, and you'd think we'd be pulling out all the stops, he would appear to have an eye somewhere else. So, do you believe there's any chance of Cesc Fabregas remaining at the club for next season, Tim? I think. Can, I, a... can I say one thing before Tim Ooh, answers? It, it's not a rumour. The fact that he didn't want to start the game is a fact. It was confirmed by Arsene Wenger in the press conference. It was. That, uh, that Cesc had grave doubts about going onto the pitch when he felt he could still cause some extra damage to his hamstring. It's not a rumour. It's also an understandable position for a player Absolutely. that has several times gone out too early and done the hamstring. I and, think and, for and people to use that as a criticism of him is ridiculous. Pitiful. Sorry, take that. That's fair enough. <laughs> Purely playing devil's Pitiful. advocate. Purely yeah. playing devil's advocate. And when he's, you, when he's been fit this season, you can see the fight that he puts into playing for Arsenal. Mm. The few games where people questioned his determination, I think he wasn't fit. And clearly when a player is masking that or carrying that, it's going to impact on their body language. The question about will he go, who knows? I actually think it's unlikely this year the Barcelona financial situation, the sense of does their squad need it, and the fact that Arsenal absolutely have to keep hold of him to demonstrate being big players and, and the issues that they'll have. We know if a player wants to go, they'll go. Well, I think I would just at the moment come down on, on the likelihood of him, of him being around for another year. Amy? I felt last summer when you know, people were absolutely convinced that he was going to go and there was no way that Arsenal could... Um, fight the tide, fight back the, the kind of ridiculous waves coming over from Catalonia. But I felt all along that Arsenal would keep hold of him last mm. summer. I'm not quite so sure this time. And I think part of that is down to the atmosphere that we've all been discussing and the problems that you know are, are so impossible to disguise uh, at the club. And I, I actually think most Arsenal fans would completely understand if he went they wouldn't have necessarily done so last summer but I think this summer most people who have any sense and decency will say thank you Sesk you've been amazing um, we've loved you know pretty much the whole time of, of, of being privileged to watch a great great player but we understand I mean how could you not when you see what's happening at Arsenal and what's happening at Barcelona what the club must do is have a strategy, though. Exactly. And they must be and in charge of it. And know yeah. early, so they know the rebuilding they've got to do, the money they've got to play with, and not have some messy squabble mm. that they lose in mid-July, early like August. Some messy squabble um, when you're talking about Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> but they've also got, they, you know, it comes back to exactly the situation that's happened last year. If Barcelona can only come up with 15 or 20 million euros, then Arsenal cannot say yes. End of story. Because 
you have to have near enough his worth. If you're going to be kind to the guy and say thanks for your service, you might let a fraction of the fee that you might be able to get from elsewhere to let him go to where he wants out of respect for him. But you can't be stupid and take half of what you might get from a Man City or a Chelsea or whatever. The thing is that, I mean, Barcelona will be probably in a better financial position uh, this time around than they were last year. One of the reasons being being called Zlatan Abramovic in terms of salary. Um, and also the situation at Barca was slightly exaggerated by the new board who wanted to make the previous board look as bad as possible. So it's one thing to keep in mind. They will have some money to spend, there's no doubt about that. And they're also, in Barcelona, people are asking themselves a lot of questions about the fitness, physical fitness and the long term of Xavi and Iniesta who are playing with constantly with injury. Uh, Xavi is playing you know, under infiltration almost every week. She's not playing at the moment. Uh, Iniesta as well is, is having some serious problems in terms of fitness and the squad is very, very thin as we have seen as, and I think as we will see and as they will be find, found out in the Champions League this season. So I, exactly like Amy, last year um, I maintained that he says wouldn't go, that I, I couldn't see him going. It was impossible. This season I think there's something in me that says instinctively this is probably the last time, the last season, we're seeing Cesc Fabregas in Arsenal shot. It's it not something that it fills me with delight, I must say. It's also probably totally intertwined with where Arsene Wenger thinks he's taking things. Mm. The player is very bound up in the manager, but if the manager <coughs> decides major things are changing, including his own role or where he's going, I think it's inevitable for the relationship between those two and how things play over the next few weeks and how they both feel about what it's like to be at Arsenal. It's, it's so interlinked now. It's so interlinked. Cesc is in probably the unique situation, though, of, of knowing what it's like to be in a mega-successful situation and have that pure joy of winning something big. And to contrast that emotion with the demoralising kind of really drag you down you know on the floor kind of look at the players at the end of the Birmingham Cup mm. final mm. and look at the emotions that, you know Arsenal fans I've been here before it's somebody said that that was the seventh time I didn't <laughs> want to count it because you know it always hurts you try and forget those ones but the seventh time Arsenal have lost the cup final in the last minute this was supposed to be a, a big turning point moment for the club that you know after probably being able to get away with some of the near misses of the last few years this was where it was all really going to come together and it actually fell apart so horribly spectacularly that probably that again it's come back to what was mentioned before about the, the, the fragility of the mental state of Arsenal where a knockback like that just completely blows the whole the only win since bits. that game was Leighton Orient well yes. exactly and, and that's a common thing again in the last few years on the Wenger where it, it, you know what the first kind of um, domino uh, uh, slipping, the whole thing just pl- collapses. The thing, uh, you, the, when you were talking about the, how desolate the, um, the players were after Birmingham, I think that I've never seen players who were as empty, shocked, um, since 1999, when Bayern were beaten by mm. Manchester United in Barcelona. But the thing now about the that thing, Bayern gets well, you exactly. is two years later they came back and won the I was precisely going and to say that. And not only did they win the Champions League <laughs> that year when they won it, 
they were, it was even interesting watching their body language, and I was at that game, and there was no way they were going to lose. They absolutely, they were a better team than, mm -hmm. than were at, uh, on the night. And again, that's where the kind of tactics again that have been mentioned about whether or not Arsene is a tactician or not. But they approached that game. There was absolutely no way they were going to lose. And I'll never forget the sight of Oliver Kahn, who was the goalkeeper, getting ready for the penalty shootout. And he was like a, a wild animal who had been caged. And he was prowling around his cage like, like a beast from you know in a zoo mm. and if you've got the feeling if even one of his teammates had gone up to him to try and tap him around the head to say good luck mate or something they'd have been knocked out by him he was so in the zone and I, you, you know there is a precedent there but mm. you look at that Bayern team and the characters in it and you look mm, at this Arsenal yeah. team and the characters this in it and you point, think are they, are they capable of taking these disappointments and using them as motivation which is what our, uh, Tony Adams you know, used to say that the defeats were always more important mm. than the than the wins. And after Zaragoza, Tony Adams was in the airport in Paris, talking to fans and lifting them and saying, "Come on, we'll, you know, mm. we'll come back from this, and this isn't going to, you know, this isn't going to kill us." Wenger, essentially, my understanding is 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 a very very very, very keen on, on players' mentalities and, and, and um, how they think and what kind of characters they are. And, and again, my understanding is uh, he uses um, a former Liverpool coach, a psychologist called uh, Jacques. Yeah. yeah. Um, if this guy undertakes such hardcore psychometric and psychological testing and assesses these players' characters as you have to have a certain degree of um, football intelligence um, and, and football character in order to become an Arsenal footballer, why does there appear to be an, un, an underlying and inherent nature of loserdom amongst this Arsenal squad? <laughs> either other Monsieur Quavazier is, is not as great as his job as people are thinking, or um... it's psychometric testing he does, isn't it? Um, well, I've seen the I've seen the tests and I've seen them, I've seen how they look, uh, and it's 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 a series of questions which again have been devised at the beginning by Jacques himself, but afterwards were refined by Arsene Wenger as well, um, which enable the, the, the club to get a more precise idea of the psychological profile of the player <clears throat> and one I mean things it would be things like combativity it would be things like um, um, generosity to your teammates sorry generosity to your teammates yes yeah, some things like that um, it would be it could be uh, conf self-confidence, things like that, in which apparently Nicholas Bentner... I was just going to say mental belief, so it's in the right area. Jacques, Jacques Rebozier actually told me that Nicholas Bentner scored 10 out of 9 in that particular <laughs> department. Um, but it, it's all this, I mean, there are not so many... Has it ever worked anywhere? This particular system? Um, yes, it has. I mean, it, was, it has been used particularly for young players. It was devised to start with uh, for uh, Clairefontaine, and for the under-17, under-19, under-21 French teams, which is how Corbusier, uh, who was also a coach, because he actually uh, brought um, uh, France to a European title uh, with the under-20s, and he was also the assistant of Jean Rouillet, and he has worked for UEFA. He's not just worked with Arsenal and mm. Liverpool, he's worked for UEFA and a few other clubs besides. Um, the aim is not to, um, to deliver you the guys of God, you know, the, the, bat the batters and the fighters. The aim is to give the recruiters and the people who are managing those young players, let's precise, be precise, they're young players only, uh, there has been no psychological profiling of Jens Lehmann, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would have been interesting, though. Um, it's just to, to see 
how they can fit within the system and the intelligence is obviously one that they're particularly keen on that the players have got to be very very clever to understand the system that is in place and I, I wouldn't take too much I w if anything I would say that this side of it is maybe under um, underused at Arsenal in that much that the, it's only very young players who are looking at, you're looking at the development of a player who is 16, but, 17, but 18 I can understand these tests in the workplace and have seen some of them and see their value but don't you judge a footballer by the 90 minutes in danger of coming over all Jeffrey Boycott here but kind of man up both. and judge them you know, you can, you know, if you watch them, if you've got scouts that watch them everywhere they play all the time, you don't need to know their scale on whether they think blue is better than green and whether they feel brave compared to weak. It's a bit more subtle than that. I know it is, and I'm parodying it a bit, but you take my point. I mean, you know, really, you know, does Alex Ferguson use this stuff? His players have got great attitude. Maybe they do. The... Maybe Alex Ferguson himself doesn't use it, but his team um, uh, is extremely, uh, I mean, rich and very, very interesting and very good people. I'm sure they use the, the psychological profiling. Everybody uses it these days. Actually, Ferguson has probably a bigger backroom staff than, than Arsene Wenger has. Actually, I'm saying that probably he does have a larger backroom staff in terms of analysis, video analysis. Uh, he has specialist technique, um, skills coaches. Uh, who look after the training session. I've, I've actually watched a couple of training sessions at, at Manchester United and I've seen how Ferguson was playing. He, he hardly says anything, but he watches absolutely. He leaves other people, he delegates. That's the, that's the main distinction, between difference between the two men. Fergie's there all the time, at 6.30 in the morning, every day. But he actually delegates it to his various coaches and just stays there and then debriefs them. It's an interesting quote that Kenny Dalglish gave when he took over at Liverpool, and a, a journalist asked him if he, if by appointing Steve Clark, he's you know maybe um, uh, maybe shooting himself in the foot with Steve Clark being the preeminent young coach in the country. To which he answered, "Well, uh, Steve's got absolutely no desire to be a manager, and I've got absolutely no desire to be a coach. So I think we'll be absolutely fine." Um, whereas, at, whereas at Arsenal, I mean, am I, am I correct in saying that his technical staff for the first team is limited to himself, Pat Rice, and Boro Primoric? And goalkeeping coaches yeah. as well, yeah. who are doing a sterling job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, sorry, going back, going back to this nature of, of, of psychological suitability, uh, a player who is much maligned uh, and who, no matter how much I watch him, just strikes me as, as footballingly um, thick, for want of a better expression, in terms of positional sense, um, understanding of particular... Uh, situations we in think the game. We know where you're going. But there's more <laughs> yes, than one to choose from. Well, well, well okay. Um, Danielson Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi in particular. Abu Dhabi <laughs> is, is, is a player who, who who gives the ball away and does does not chase back and seems to stand around looking confused. He's a for different aspects of his game. Yeah, yes, exactly. He's I mean, a failed experiment, but he has. There's a very good reason for that. I think Abu Dhabi is somebody who was literally murdered on the pitch by a Sunderland mm, sure. player, which we should never forget. Never was the same player afterwards. When this happens to you, some players don't quite, even if they try as hard as they can, I think Ramsey, there would be no problem. The boy is very, very, very focused and seems to have it. Uh, in terms of Abu Dhabi, he's a, he's a gentle soul mm. and um, he hasn't gone over it, uh, which is an absolute pity because the boy was tremendously gifted. Uh, his close control is sometimes astonishing. I know sometimes the ball bounces off him as if it were, you know, he had square pegs for legs, but... Uh, he, he had tremendous and has tremendous talent. Unfortunately, I don't think that psychologically he'll ever be 
the kind of person who is able to nurture and to make that, that talent blossom. And I think Van Gogh is sticking to him because he knows that it's his experiment. He really believed in him. All the scouts so believed sure. in him as well. Everybody did. Uh, nothing's bad. I mean, I mean the, the question I've got in front of me is that, he's, is that notwithstanding that, he's still a regular starter for the national team. I'm to ask what the perception of him is in France, and is it that, that he was a well, kid with so in, much potential? In France, people I still have a very, very high opinion of Abu Dhabi, and actually saw him at one point as a solution, because he's one of those very rare midfielders who can actually, he can actually defend when he wants to, um, and he can also, like Aviera, um, he can be the first springboard for, for attack. He's got, as I said again, he, he can play as a, as a nine and a half. In some ways, it's maybe it's his best position. Uh, he's tremendously skillful. Uh, he's got a great shot on him. I know we haven't seen most of it. Uh, it's very physically imposing. When he's got the ball in the middle of three opponents, generally gets out of this muddle with the ball at his feet, like Patrick used to do. So, no, people still believe in him. But unfortunately, as I said, I think Abu Dhabi as a player... He will be a fine player, he will have a fine career, but the great player everybody was hoping to see was basically killed by that Sunderland player. I was five metres away from that tackle, it was absolutely horrendous. Mm. It should, we should never forget that. It's depressingly one of those great football trivia questions, which is, where is Dan Smith now? I don't think anybody could probably well, where ask. Where is Martin Taylor, eh? Indeed, indeed. Um, I want to move on to something cheery, but I'll be honest, Kevin's put a selection of very depressing bits and bobs in front <laughs> of me. Let's talk about Jack Wilshere. Let's talk about yeah. Jack Wilshere, the future of English, of, of, of English football. The present. Amy Lawrence begging to, uh, to <laughs> dip in here. Yeah, no, my, my, my uh, unfortunate crush on a, a, a boy <laughs> who's so much younger than me, it's shameful. Um, nah, I, I, that's been the, the biggest plus of the season, obviously, and it's been a pleasure to see him evolving and what's marvellous is to think how much more he can evolve but that's the whole point isn't it let's create an environment and a team around these players and, and all through the project it's, but it was the same with Seth when he was first come through and he was young um, and you want to build a team around them and it's, it's making that next step to build the team around the, the, the ones who've re who really are worthy of winning things and are capable of winning things. But they can't do it on their own. Cesc couldn't do it on his own, although he, he jolly well gave it a good go when he was carrying at least half the team yeah. uh, you know, over a certain number of seasons. Um, Are you worried th th this, you know, Jack is a, a marvellous talent. So is Chesney. Um, and I think one of the, you know, before the Birmingham debacle, what was so nice was how many of the players who had got Arsenal to mm. such a good position had come through. And if they hadn't actually come through the youth system from, say, nine or ten at Hayland, like Jack did, they'd certainly been brought in very young. And, and the vast majority were was, was still teenagers um, when they came to the club, which was, I think, a great testament to everything, that the, the Wenger project that he was trying to, trying to achieve. It's that next step that's been the problem. Um, but we talk about Diaby, Danielson, Rosicki, some of those players who let's say, don't have the universal support of, um, of the Emirates crowd. And well, I suppose you were generally prefixed with much maligned. OK, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> but, but somebody like Henry Lansbury, for example, who's um, out at Norwich this season, uh, hopefully getting the kind of experience that Jack got at Bolton last season. Mm -hmm. One of the kind of changes I'd, I think would be beneficial is, and it's notable in all these young players that have been in the FA Cup and um, league uh, winning team that have come through, is they have got that kind of personality we're talking about. I mean, it's no coincidence that the players who have really, sh you know, stood up and, and shown great character over these difficult last few years, 
weeks were Chesney, who didn't even seem to take the disaster at Birmingham too much to heart, which was, mm. you know, pretty show, a, a pretty encouraging sign. Uh, Jack Wilshire, obviously. There are a few more of these guys who, around. Um, and instead of when, you know, it is a squad game and we've got, got to have a big squad, but it would be nice to think that next season, when the first choice midfielder are not available, let's see Henry Lansbury come in. Yep. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, Danielson or, or Jarby or Rizitsky or mm. the, the players who seem to be struggling the most, or Ebway or whatever. Henry Lansbury is a guy who has been compared to Ray Parler um, and, and he's got unbelievable energy. Uh, he's got a fantastic stamina. He will run all day chasing, harrying, uh, making himself available. Uh, he's got some ability and he also knows how to score goals and make goals and he's got a bit of will to win and he's the kind of boy who can score your goal in the last minute um, so it's it's time to give opportunities mm. to fre- we need some more fresh blood and whether it's people that are bought or whether it's people that are within the ranks already that need to be promoted it's time to promote some it's, it's been proven that mm. the, the two success stories of Wilshire and Chesney coming through the, from the youth team to an extent Juro as well who finally got yeah, at least a, a, a kind of good shot at a season <laughs> until his latest injury that they really got what it takes, uh, character-wise as well as ability-wise. So, I'd I think everybody would be glad to see more of that and less of the the failed experiments to to use um, Philippe's expression. Do you think it could be an underlying feeling in Wenger that um, uh, whilst he obviously gave everything his his, his utmost, do you think that there's an acknowledgement in him that maybe? 2000, the great team he tried to build between 2006 and 2009 ultimately failed. And now he's sort of started again from scratch and he's sort of using the, the failed experiments like Danielson as a He hasn't started bridge. from scratch. This, mm-hmm. is, this is, you know, the final hurrah of still trying to do that team. Mm-hmm. To the extent that in January, when he knew he needed a central defender on the injury prognosis, when Fabianski was declared out for the rest of the season, OK, Chesney was doing very well, but you were one injury from Chesney to being back to Almunia. Mm-hmm. But I still feel he was living on the old philosophy, the old team. Fingers crossed, one more push. Here I come, the genius that is going to do it on no money with a young team. That can't sustain this summer. I think also what's important is, you know, the situation is not lost. There is a big welter of opinion against Arsene, but it's. If I think what's important is if he's going to um, stay and re-energise everybody, is that he acknowledges and is honest with everybody yes. about the change. If he comes out with the same old stuff, I think that's where the fans are going to become. It's going to become even uglier. And with I still, a, with a, with a I still think uh, talking to people, reading the blogs, keeping ear to the ground. I still think by far the biggest box that people would tick is. Arsene Wenger with a slightly new philosophy or you know Arsene Wenger but just you know buy a couple of really good older folks that's what most people still want they still want to see him succeed Mm. which is partly why it's so dangerous if you get almost this gradual winding down of it because people have got so much goodwill to him Mm. there's danger in 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 this um, and I'm thinking of next summer because obviously the squad will need to be refreshed a few players might need to be actually shown the door very politely uh, that how are you going to recruit the players? Are you going to recruit the players because you think they're the best suited to the team that is existing now? Are you going to recruit players because you think they can be the starting point of a new team? Or are you going to buy players because you want to placate the fans? 
and he's going to have to do all three yes. at one stroke. But he's done it already. If you think back to even that first summer in 97, 90, he bought about six or seven players. Yeah. And it was a variety of players. There was mm. Overmars, which was an outstanding yeah. signing. Um, Petit, Petit came Petit. in that same summer, an outstanding signing. Uh, Upson came in at the same time, Alex Manninger, yep. um, and uh, there's a couple Alberto of Alberto Mendes, Christopher Ray, <laughs> uh, Stefan Lutz. Yeah, well, but Christopher no, no. Ray still, did, still played his part. But it's yeah. all, isn't isn't that, that just a stark realisation from the manager that we need uh, to rebuild? Uh, you're, you're right, Amy, he you know, uplifted, he, he, and he got some luck, he, and you do need that bit of luck. Both Pires and Overmars came off bad injuries, yes, which is correct. why they were available. And the Arby's bad injury, if you like, which was internal, but awarded with a big contract because the potential was there, hasn't paid off, but it was probably right to wait and see if it did. But I agree with where Amy was going. I think, you know, on the, on the doormat in the next few weeks, probably, unless mm. they're having a serious rethink, the, you know, 6%-ish added onto the season ticket, all this wailing, I think they need a statement. A trophy signing, a, a trophy mm. signing. Just like Arsenal have sold every single seat available at a Premier League game since the day Dennis Bergkamp signed. They put on 8,000 season tickets in that month after Bergkamp signed, and there hasn't been a spare ticket on match day available since then. Big players do. Come on, Tim, who would you want? Lift people. <laughs> Just oh, putting you on the spot here. Let, let, let Amy go first. She watches <laughs> much more closely than me. <laughs> oh, oh, big I mean, you know, but uh, that's the whole point. Going back to that that summer where he bought, you know, a handful of players at once. Mm. It, it wasn't just. I mean, obviously, the Burkamp signing was, and I was fortunate enough to be at the press conference when Burkamp was unveiled, and and I remember. Tom Watt and I looking at each other because obviously most of the people in the room were proper journalists, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, they didn't have quite such an emotional. And Tom and I looked at each other and we were just so happy, it was unbelievable, uh, to see something like that. You just couldn't believe it. But I don't know, I mean, short of signing someone like Messi, which is obviously not going to happen, but, you know... I would spend really my money around, and the, and the two... Well, this is the point, I'm the saying, older buy heads, group, I would buy have players. DJ Drogba, and who needs rescuing from the Chelsea situation, and Scott Parker, because I think you need... Know how winners tough for a year or two to take these guys through. I'd like to see Buffon come as well. I've been saying that for well, a while. Uh, uh, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, I mean, and I've worked totally in Mexico for a while yes, as well. I totally agree with Scott Parker, I must say. Mm. Um, uh, really, totally agree. And, and like my, my, dreams, <laughs> my, my, my dream signing would be Samuel Leto, um, mm. who is, I think, the greatest centre forward uh, in the world at the moment. He's bigger and better than Didier Drogba. He's done it everywhere. Um, he changes teams around him. He's a boss. He's a tough guy. Um, he's selfless and selfish at the same time. Uh, he's, he's an astounding player. And he could have come to Arsenal. Will that's, you know, that's, that's where, and as, I, as we know that, Edwin van der Sar was willing to come to Arsenal on his knees. Mm -hmm. That Petr Cech was nearly at Arsenal, but that because of this work permit problem, the club was not interested in him after six months. And then Chelsea got in and got in. And you think, we've missed out on so many players in the past, particularly in defensive situation, and particularly as goalkeepers are. Uh, and you, you've got to question the scouting again and the decisions which have been which have been yes. made. But obviously, we all agree. I mean, there's got to be what they call the marquee signing. Has, it's so important. I mean, for, for that, that new commercial team over there are are desperate for something to lift that side of things as well. They finally persuaded him to go to Japan, and then obviously they lose the opportunity to go to Japan. I don't know if they'll still get something in or whether he'll get one more year in Austria. 
as a result of the sad events that have gone on there. But the, a marquee signing is needed to lift everything. My own view is that, that they are so aware of the discontent with the season ticket price rise and where fans are that we'll see someone, you know, nearer that 1st of June renewal date than the 30th of June. But it, it needs to be more than one. I mean, oh, it does. But, but, signing, but, but, but you know, I tell you, to show that it's the beginning real... of a pattern, Amy, yeah. not, not this kind of hang on till August the 31st and windswept Sky Sports news reporter out there wondering whether a free transfer has been found from somewhere. The other thing which is also just as important as bringing players in is that there are players who will stay at a club uh, out of laziness. And there are a few at this club at the moment and who are there in a cycle of new contract, new contract. They're not on absolutely enormous amounts of money, but they're there making up the numbers and they've been there for a long time. But the point is you've got to acknowledge that if they're not doing it anymore and you're stuck because you can't offload them, that you either loan them out and take a view Indeed. or that they become marginalised and you, prom- you don't just keep them there and not promote Henry Lansby or whoever it might mm. be. You have to... You have to Oh, may uh, I suggest Shea things. as well? You know, I, I, I thought that the Jens Lehmann situ- a solution, it's extraordinary. You've got the young reserve keeper here who is on the bench for, you know, important games. Suddenly some of the guys get injured. You bring in a 41-year-old who's retired. What kind of message are you passing on to the keeper that, who might have thought that he had a future at the club? Quick, quick quiz question. Uh, 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 who was the goalkeeper, the reserve goalkeeper for Arsenal in the Invincible season? Rami Shelburne and Stuart Taylor. No. You, oh, Graham right. Stack, wasn't it? Graham Stack, Stack. Liberian's finest. You know, <laughs> that's another factor that's really, we hate to whinge about this kind of thing, but it is true, which is that the, the injury situation is kind of bizarrely weird at Arsenal. There's, um, there's a whole debate you can, about that. You know, in, that, in that, of course, but in that, in that, sorry, in that invincible season, um, you know, he, it, there was a gamble. Graham Stack was number two for virtually the entire season. He didn't have to play all year. Mm. You don't find yes, yourself yes, in this yes, situation with the board have know, announced the one. Pascal Sigan barely played that season, and it, it, that's it, true. It, compared to how much oh. the Squillaches and Koscielny's have had to play. This if they season. could improve the injury situation, then the board have announced that the expenditure already committed is a new medical state-of-the-art facility. Mm. Up at the training it's ground. It's not about people. facility. It's well, about, yeah, but I think the facility and people in it. Yeah, a, a, a new approach. But whether that actually means looking at how they prepare for games, the molly coddling of them, the prep, you know, the flights, probably does involve looking the at, as well. at all of that. I also think that you, are, you know, what you do when you're Gooners is you look at Arsenal's injury list and forget, you know, Owen Hargreaves at Manchester United who's never seen, Rio Ferdinand, Ledley King and Jonathan Woodgate. You know, we tend to be very aware of what we're missing and what other people but, okay, are managing. But, but the bottom line is, is it only emphasises how much you can't rely on a very good-looking first eleven. Mm. And, and Arsenal's problem this season has been that the second eleven has fallen well short. And seems to be happy to be the second eleven, but that's it. That's which is not the case. I think what's different I see now we have a second yeah. eleven that gets put out for games and can't quite do it. A few years ago, it w- you had five or six of the first team rotated with another five or six. Do you see what I mean? I think now sometimes he's putting out literally a, the second eleven, and the, you know these fans, which I think you correctly described, some of them as expecting too much, expect the second eleven to play like the first eleven will play, mm. and that's not going to happen. And maybe there's almost a bit too much depth there that he can do that. And we don't see that, that kind of seven or eight starting all the time. 
Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Um, and I've, <coughs> I've never meant that with more seriousness in my life. I mean, by, by this stage, Steve Ashford's pissed. Um, Mark Collington's fallen over, wetting himself laughing. And, and Basti's, um, well, gone off all kinds of tangents. And so, his final Beatles impression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, Tom. We would have had John Muffs phoning up Hello. at some point. So, to... Um, Philippe, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's no, I we, have to take this one. I hope it was someone important. Yes, it was. Um, to wrap up in traditional style, the email address for any communications about the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com, the first port of call for all your unofficial Arsenal t-shirt needs, and we hope that you've enjoyed hearing some voices that carry a bit of authority for a change. But please rest assured, it's from caviar to sausages next time round, as the usual rabble return for our May recording. Still, it was good while it lasted. I'm your host, David Udo, and thank you for listening. La di da di da, la di da di di, all good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey.